You are listening to the Feast Podcast from the Light of Jesus family. We share heartfelt and inspirational messages for you to reflect on and pray about. May this message help you to face challenges, follow your dreams, and open yourself to God's unlimited blessings. You're probably expecting, hmm, where's Brother Bo? Well, I want to park our hearts for a moment, just for a few seconds, and pray for our beloved friend, Brother Bo, because, well, he was in uh, Davao last Thursday. He flew out, and I don't know if you've heard, but there were problems in the airline. And so he's been in the airport since yesterday afternoon. By 10.45, we were still texting, and he, he told me, by the way it looks, I'm going to be stuck here, and you're going to be the only preacher in BICC. So here I am. I'm a solo act, but maybe God has a purpose. God wants Brother Bo to rest. So let's pray for him, if it's okay. Bow down your heads. Think about Brother Bo. And let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you so much for the gift of Brother Bo in our lives. We thank you that you're using this time to refresh and to recharge him. We thank you that, that, that you, you protected him on his way here back to Manila. But in this time, please speak to him. Please protect him from any illness. Strengthen his body and make sure that he is always well. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. We, I heard that actually Brother's Bo, Brother Bo's flight arrived this morning at 5 a.m., but he's still sleeping. So if he's watching, hi, Brother Bo. Everybody say hi, Brother Bo. All right. We're going to have fun today. I'm going to give the talk by myself. I only found out last night, but God is good. So let's talk about Luke, all right? The word that I said that I was going to delay a little bit comes from Luke chapter 4. Oh, there it is. I'm going to read it right there. This verse is very important because it contains the mission statement of Jesus. All right? So listen up. Here's what it says. Can you everybody read it with me? Let's put it on screen. Not that. The other one. The one that you have on my screen. Luke chapter 4 verse 18. No, not even that. Okay, I'll read it to you then. Okay, it says in Luke chapter 4, The Spirit of the Lord is on me because He has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoner and recovery of sight for the blind. This thing, this verse contains the mission statement of Jesus. How many of you work for a company or an office? If you've worked or if you're working for an office or a company, you'd know what a mission statement is, right? A mission statement is one of the most important things that define a company. So much so that a company will spend millions just to be able to write that simple statement. You know, they would send their executives to a resort or a retreat center, spend two to three days just to be able to write about nine to 12 words of what this simple statement is. To give you an example of what a mission statement is, Here's the mission statement of Facebook. Facebook's mission is to give people the power to share and make the world more open and connected. Sounds very good. Sounds exactly like what Facebook is doing, yes? Here's what Google's mission statement is. To organize the world's information and make it universally accessible and useful. Those are very long mission statement, statements. But there are brief mission statements. like Just like Walt Disney. What is Disney's mission statement? Anybody? To make people happy. That's right. Do you know TED? TED Talks? TED the conference? The mission statement of TED, very simple, but very powerful. To spread ideas. How about Coca-Cola? Coca-Cola's mission statement is to refresh the world. 
How about the light of Jesus' family or the feast? Do you know our mission statement? If there's only one mission statement that you should memorize, it's this, all right? The mission statement of the feast is very simple to make disciples. Everybody say, to make disciples. That's right. This was uh, what Luke was saying is that this verse contains the mission statement of Jesus. What was Jesus' mission statement? Ask me what? To proclaim the good news to the poor. So simple. Some of you are probably asking, but I'm not poor. Do I look like I'm poor? Are you sure you're not poor? Because listen to this. Luke, when he said that, he actually derived it from the prophet Isaiah. And when the prophet Isaiah wrote it down, he wrote it in Hebrew. So he didn't write the word poor. Instead, he, write, he wrote the Hebrew word ani, A-N-I. And ani doesn't mean that if you're poor, you don't have money. It means that you're a person who doesn't have value. So he's not just talking about people who don't have money. It's people who don't have value. Like people who have been neglected, people who have been abandoned, people who are invisible, people who are not counted. Are you getting what I'm saying? In ancient times, there were five examples of how it is to be poor. The first example are those who are materially poor. We all know that. That's self-explanatory. The other example are the women and children. I'm going to explain later on why they're considered poor. The third one are the sick people because they thought that they were cursed by God. And then the fourth one would be the Gentiles because again, they were the ones who never obeyed God's laws. They had their own laws to begin with. And the number five example of poor people are the sinners, like the prostitutes, the tax collectors, because they believed that God hated them for what they did. So in the next few minutes, I want to speak and talk to you about the three most important examples that I believe you should hear. Are you ready for this? All right. The first group belongs to those who are materially poor. Everybody say materially poor. See, here's the honest truth, guys. You all know this. Around the world, there are people who are materially rich, but there are also those who are materially poor. And if you are materially poor, I want you to believe this with all your heart. I want you to believe that God is chasing you and that God wants to lift you up from material poverty. He wants to bless your life and make you abundant. Are we clear on that? You got to believe that with all your heart. Every now and then, somebody outside or somebody would message me and ask me the question, Brother Odi, why is it that you always speak in English? You know, you always preach in English. Can you speak in Tagalog every now and then? Because every time I hear you, you know, my nose bleeds. And you know, if you, comp- if you speak in English all the time, you're only going to attract a specific group of people, the middle class people. And you know what I think about every time somebody asks me that question? I think all the way back to seven years ago, the very first time and the only time I tried speaking and preaching in Tagalog, they invited me to lead worship in Feast Manila. How many of you here are familiar with Feast Manila? They like speaking a lot of Tagalog in Feast Manila, right? So they invited me for their second year anniversary. And so I thought, this is my first time to exhort in Tagalog. So I, I started preparing diligently and I put it down on paper. And I was so proud of it, you know? And so I, I came in early. And then for some reason, I find Brother J.C. Libiran who was going around. And so I thought, hey, maybe I'll practice it on him. And so I, I come to him and I tell him, JC, can you hear what I'm going to say in Tagalog? And he says, yeah, sure. 
I apologize for all those who don't know how to speak Tagalog. I'm gonna do this in Tagalog. If you're beside a Filipino, please translate it for them, all right? So here's, here's my exhortation. You wanna hear my exhortation? All right, here it is. I go, Magandang hapon, Feast Manila! Maligayang karawan sa inyong lahat! Ako'y, ako po'y natutuwa at nainyayahan niyo ako dito sa munting celebration niyo dito. Birin niyo, dalawang taon na kayo dito sa Feast Manila na nagkakantahan para sa Panginoon. Dalawang taon na kayo dito na nagsasayawan para sa Panginoon. Dalawang taon na kayo dito naglalandugan para sa... Then JC was like, bro, what's that word that you just said? Oh, yeah, landugan. What do you mean by landugan? Uh, yeah, you know, it's when people jump up and down, di ba? Landugan. And then JC's like, did you mean lundagan? Wait, so what does landugan mean? And JC's like, I have no idea, but it's something you never say in a relig- religious event, okay? <laughs> that was the first time and the last time I ever attempted to speak Tagalog in any religious event. Besides the point, my dear friends, there's a reason why we have different feasts in different locations so that you can be given options you know in our afternoon session brother JC and brother Alvin speak great Tagalog they speak more Tagalog than me and brother Bo combined in a year so people who prefer Tagalog preachers love their sessions you know here's the other thing that we believe in we believe that even if it's okay that we attract a certain group of people the middle class people hey these are the same people who are going to reach out to those in the lower class because that's exactly what's happening today that's the reason why we have feasts in jails and drug rehab centers we have feasts for the poor all across the world we have feasts in in Hong Kong and Dubai for domestic helpers why is that happening? because the middle class people are learning to love those in the lower class we need to love the poor my dear friends we need to love the poor. That's what the Gospel of Luke was saying, that Jesus was all about loving the poor. But the sad reality is, my dear friends, there's still some Christians out there who don't understand how to love the poor. I'll give you two reasons why, because of two obstacles. The first obstacle is that some people think they're also materially poor because they like comparing themselves upwards. Everybody say upwards. What do I mean by that? Some people compare themselves to people who are richer than them, who are more successful than they are, who, who seem to have it all. You know, they compare their lives to those crazy rich Asians, to, to Manny Pacquiao and Chris Aquino. And um, how come I don't have what she's wearing? How come I don't drive what he's driving? How come I don't live where he's living? Stop doing that. Can you pinch the person beside you and say, stop doing that? If you want to see just how rich you are, don't compare yourself upwards. Compare yourself downwards. Because here's what statistics say, okay? 21% of Filipinos live below the poverty line. So when you compare yourself downwards, you're going to realize just how blessed and how rich you really are. That's true. So don't ever let us hear you saying, Oh, you know, when I, when I win 100 million pesos in the lotto, I'm going to donate a, uh, 10 million to the feast. Here's my answer to that. If you have 10,000 pesos now, donate 1,000 to the Lord because that's enough for God. That's 10%. Don't ever wait to say, if I'm going to be rich enough, you know, when I'm successful enough, then I'll start helping. Hey, you're rich right now, so start helping now. Amen?
And the truth is, my dear friends, if you're not going to be faithful with small money, you're never going to be faithful when you have big money. The second obstacle that people find because they, they don't help the poor so much is because they think helping the poor is just an activity. Everybody say activity. They think it's something you just do on a special occasion, like on a birthday or, or Christmas. Like for example, in Anoim, the home for our abandoned elderly. You know the busiest time in Anoim is? It's every Christmas. December to January for two whole months. It's crazy out there, you know? Four, five, maybe even six groups would come and, and, and they'd be bringing food. So much so that all the lawless and the lawless, they already suffer from pancitaitis. You know what pancitaitis is? You eat too much pancit because that's all they bring. If you want to drop by Anuim, go during the off-peak months. Not during the peak months because there's so much people there already. That's why we organize pilgrimages every second Sunday of every month. In fact, you can sign in the lobby today. Come and join us. You know, it's going to bless you. Luke wrote in very sophisticated, polished Greek. So his target was really the more affluent, the wealthier people, the wealthier Gentiles. You know what his message was? Loving the poor is not what you do. Instead, loving the poor is supposed to be who you are. It's supposed to be your core being. It's supposed to be your calling. It's supposed to be your character. It's not just an activity, but it's your identity. Can I get an amen? Second group of people who we consider to be an example of how it is to be poor are the women and children. Because in ancient Jewish times, women and children were considered to be unimportant. You know, they weren't counted. They had no role. They couldn't own property. In fact, one of the Gospels say that when Jesus multiplied bread and fish, they said that there were 5,000 men present that day, but not including the men, the women, and the children. Whoever counted that group didn't even bother counting how many children and women were there because they thought eh, they had no value. Women were not even qualified to be eyewitnesses in court. That's why there was a big controversy with one of the Gospels when it said that the first eyewitnesses to the resurrection of Jesus were women. That single most important and pivotal event in our Christian faith were witnessed by women. That's why they got so mad. But you know, Jesus, Jesus loved the women from the very beginning. Did you know that Jesus had followers that were not men, but were women? The Gospel of Luke says it so. It says the twelve were with him, and also some women who had been cured of evil spirits and diseases. Mary Magdalene, from whom seven demons had come out. Next slide, please. Joanna, the wife of Chusa, the manager of Herod's household. Susanna and many others, those women were helping to support them out of their own means. You see, Jesus loving the women... And it wasn't typical during that time in that society. You couldn't educate women. You couldn't teach women and you couldn't disciple them. But here is what Jesus was doing. He was inviting the women to come follow Him so that He can disciple them. Luke even goes as far as saying that the two sisters, Mary and Martha, were disciples of Jesus. You remember the story? Mary sitting at the Lord's feet, listening to Him, hearing His teaching. I really need to preach this to you guys because... This is not in the past. I'm afraid that even up to today, we are still treating women poorly. Statistics would say that one out of five women have experienced physical abuse. If you are still experiencing this, whether it's physical abuse or emotional abuse, even verbal abuse, don't ever be too afraid or too scared to ask for help, all right? 
We have a pastoral care center. We're going to display the number here. You can call this number. You can take a screenshot of that. Maybe it's not for you. Maybe it's for, for a friend, for a family member. But look for help. Seek counsel. We want to be able to pray for you and walk with you. All right? Just a few questions that some of you might probably be asking on the context of abuse. So, Brother Audie, doesn't the Bible say that wives should submit themselves to their husbands? Yes, it does. Ephesians 5, uh, chapter 22 says that wives, all the wives, can you raise your hands? Wives, submit yourselves to your husbands just as you do to the Lord. Can I get an amen from all the husbands? Amen. Yeah. But before you guys start celebrating, hear this out. Skip a few verses. Verse 25, here's what it says about the husbands. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Now can I hear an amen from all the wives? Amen. Yeah, I love it. It's not just the wives submitting themselves to the husbands, but it's also the husbands submitting themselves to the wives. It works both ways. You see what I'm pointing at? Another question. So, Brother Audi, if you, the feast is so big on women, how come we don't see female preachers or builders on stage? You ever wonder that? I'll, I'll tell you the truth. We have amazing female preachers globally. And they're amazing. They're actually better than me, some of them. But locally, the reason why we put a lot of men on stage is because we discovered that in our culture, this was many years ago, we discovered that when we put female preachers on stage, all of the women come. But not so much many men. But when we put a male preacher on stage, both the women and the men come. So it's not really a theological reason, but it's an attractional reason. attraction. <clears throat> There's a reason why we did that. Because we want to attract more sons and more fathers and more husbands to follow Jesus so that they can lead their families as well to Jesus. Amen? Another question. So, Brother Audi, do you really think that women are more inferior to men? Let me tell all the women here. Can I hear from all the women? Five voices. That's all I hear. All right, all the women, listen to this. Don't ever let anybody tell you that you are more inferior, that you're less important, that you're the weaker sex, and that you're unimportant. Because in the eyes of God, you are special. You are unique. You are talented. You are beautiful in the eyes of God. Can you touch the women beside you and tell them you're beautiful? You really are. In the eyes of God, brothers and sisters, listen to this. In the eyes of God, we are all created equal. And I love what Matthew 22 verse 30 says about this. Hold on, listen to this. In Matthew twenty-two thirty, it says, At the resurrection, people will neither marry nor be given in marriage. They will be like the angels in heaven. I've never been to heaven, have you? But here's what we believe, alright? That in heaven, there won't be such things as husbands and wives. So if you stretch that a little further, it might mean there won't be such a thing as male or female. There will only be angels. See, if you think about that, that's a very interesting thought. Because the most consensuous issue that we're facing today, whether that person is heterosexual or whether that person is homosexual, will no longer apply in heaven. Why? Because in heaven, there won't be straight or LGBT. We'll all just be children of God. Amen? 
So even today, here's what I urge you to do. Even today, treat people as persons, please. Don't treat them as labels. Treat them as people, as a person of value, of worth that God loves. And you know, we're going to continue to preach and going to continue to urge you to live a chaste life. But even if you don't, we're still going to pray for you. We're going to still love you because, hey, we all come from one Father. Amen. Is this helping anybody so far? Wonderful. Can I invite everybody to stand up as we close? I want to close by telling you the last group of people who we consider poor in this world. And these are, I believe, all of us. It's a group called sinners. I'm a sinner. You're a sinner. The person standing next to you, shockingly, is a sinner. We're all sinners in the sense that we have all fallen short from the grace of God. And we need Jesus to save us. This is what we've been talking about all series long. How Jesus loved to dine with sinners. How Jesus loved to hang out with taxpayers and prostitutes and and cheats and liars. And Matthew wrote this in his gospel where Jesus was hanging out with tax collectors and the Pharisees got mad at him. But Luke also talks about the same thing, except in a different attack, you know. It says here in Luke chapter 15, now the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around to hear Jesus. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, this man welcomes sinners and eats with him. And here's how Jesus responds to this accusation. Note that only Luke wrote about this. None of the other Gospels wrote about this. Luke proceeds to tell how Jesus tells the Pharisees about the parable of the prodigal son. You know that parable. It's about the story of a young son, of a young boy, a young brother who chooses to ask for his inheritance early on in life. And then so he sets out his journey, but because of his own stupidity, because of making the wrong decisions, he ends up poor. He ends up with no money, and he ends up without a father. I want to end with this personal story, and then I'll go back to that prodigal son. I want to take you back all the way to 1990, when my sister and I and another friend were in a major car car wreck accident along Ortigas Avenue and Corner Edsa. It was the first time, you know, that my sister had barely begun how to drive. So she really didn't know how to drive. But the one thing that, that we were so terrified about was because we never asked permission from our parents. I was about 12 years old and my sister just invited me. I didn't even know where we were going but we got in a major car accident because there was an eight-wheeler truck that just lost its brake and smashed into the car behind us and that car smashed into our car and then another car and another car until eight cars were involved in that accident. And we go out. Thank God we were safe. All body parts were complete. Praise the Lord. And you know, we saw the car and it was in a total wreck. And what we were so afraid was because we were so guilty. Because we made a mistake and we, we stole the car. We, we didn't ask permission. But my sister knew exactly what she needed to do. She calls up my parents in the middle of the night and then tells them all about what happened. And then she put the phone down. It was the longest 15 minutes of our life. Because back in the day, you know, Tai Tai from... Taitai Rizal to Ortigas only took 15 minutes. Now it takes 68 million years to get from any point to any point. Our parents arrive and we see them in the distance. They go down the car and they were running. And so we were more afraid. We were running backwards. You know, here comes vengeance. But in our heads, in our thoughts, we were expecting something like punishment, screaming. 
But that's not what they did. Instead, they hugged us, they embraced us, they kissed us, and they said, I'm glad you're okay. We don't care about the car, we care about you. And it took me all the way back to that point in time because I, when I was reading the prodigal son again this week, I just remembered how the son realized what he had done and he remembered that in his home he was so comfortable and so with whatever dignity that he had he swallowed it and then he stood up Bible says can we put that verse here the Bible says that he got up and went to his father but while he was still a long way off his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him and he ran to his son threw his arms around him and kissed him you know in ancient Jewish society, fathers don't run because it was beneath their dignity. You know, they don't run to their children. It was the other way around. But Jesus deliberately inserted that line because He wanted to show you that God the Father runs to you when you're in need. But I, want, I don't want to talk about that God ran. I want to talk about why God ran. Because I put myself in the shoes of this young boy who found himself wanting to go home and walking towards home but I tried to imagine a guilty person walking home he wouldn't have been running right he would be afraid he would be walking at a pace he would be walking slowly and then the story goes that he sees his not, not him but the father sees him from the distance and then runs to him so maybe the reason why the father ran was because he saw his son. So here's my point. When God sees you coming, he'll be the first one to come running wherever you are. Because I really truly believe that there is no guilt in your heart that will ever be greater than the grace of God. And here's what my parents taught me that day, a reflection that I only figured out up to now. My parents, with their actions when they hugged me, they were telling me, it's not so important that you stole the car, my son, my daughter, my child. Because what's more important is that you are safe. So I came to announce to somebody here today who has maybe walked away from God and maybe you have squandered the inheritance, the inheritance that God has given you and maybe you've walked out from the destiny that God has given you and maybe you've made some mistakes and you've had some failures and you've had some shortcomings and you've had some weaknesses in your life. But I came to announce to somebody here today that God is telling you that it's not so important that you left. Because what's more important is that you came back. That's what's more important to God, that you're here right now in the very presence of God. And I really believe this with all my heart, that hearts are going to turn in this place. Souls are going to shift in this place. And backs that have been turned against God are going to finally turn around and start making a way towards the presence of Jesus. Because what if, think about this, what if all it takes are just a few steps for you to make that turn and face God because when God sees you in the distance just like he saw his son there wasn't any punishment there wasn't any vengeance instead God came running God came running 
God came running and I believe God is going to come running. He's going to come running in this place and give you the tightest hug and the biggest kiss because he's missed you, my child. He's missed you, my son. He's missed you, my daughter. So come in the presence of God with an open heart, with an open mind and say, I'm ready to come home. I'm ready to come home, Jesus. In your presence, I'm ready to come home. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you for listening to this podcast from the Light of Jesus family. For more messages like these, visit lightfam.com and click on Feast Teachings.